You know what? I was so busy worrying about content, I failed to notice. But I'm Anthony Mako, and welcome to Season 2 of Postmodern Liturgy. Obviously, the new liturgical year is the best time to switch seasons here on the podcast. And with the beginning of Advent comes the rollover of the liturgical year. So, we're now in year A. But before we get into our Advent series, I wanted to take a second and celebrate season one. Back in March or so, I posted an introductory episode. I know many of you listened to it at that time, and some of you who joined us along the way went back and listened. But we've had a ton of people join us since then, so I figured it wouldn't hurt to revisit the goal of this podcast and the website in general. Like I said, I'm Anthony Mako, the founder of Postmodern Liturgy. I do most of the work on the site, and I do all the work on the podcast, by myself, sometimes with a blanket over my head to try and muffle the noise of children in the background or walking upstairs. Postmodern Liturgy does have another contributor, though. His name is Jake Reber. He has written for the site, but this is a really good opportunity for me to say some of what he does that you wouldn't know. He also designed the logo, but most importantly, he's the person I call when I'm prepping something and get stuck in a thought circle, or when I don't think I'm making any sense. So the end of season one is a wonderful opportunity for me to thank Jake for all his help over this year. In many ways, the name Postmodern Liturgy was used because it somehow encapsulates many of my interests in just a couple words. I've been a musician my whole life, a worship leader for a lot of my life, and then I graduated a couple years ago with an MA in Theological Studies. In my program, I dove pretty deep into the topics of creation care, Christian history, and theology, and postmodern theology. But that's mostly just technical history. Postmodern liturgy was born because of the answers to three questions. What if doubt or times of wilderness are not drifting from God? but are rather times for deeper connection with God. Is there a new way to think about how the arts intersect with theology? And, what if everyone isn't as dumb as some of the church thinks they are? And so we have arrived at Postmodern Liturgy, which exists in a couple different forms. This podcast is a chance to reflect on the weekly readings in the liturgical calendar the week before they actually occur. It could be to assist in worship planning, sermon prep, or just personal reflection, among other things. I hope our distinctive is that we try to apply a variety of postmodern lenses to the text, especially offering space for deconstruction and doubt, because I've come to believe these tools are instrumental to spiritual formation. I also write and record all the music specifically for this podcast. You can engage in more material at postmodernliturgy.com, You can follow us on social media at Postmodern Liturgy on Facebook and Instagram and at PM Liturgy on Twitter. And if you're so inclined, you can join our wonderful group of supporters on Patreon at patreon.com slash postmodernliturgy and get some pretty great benefits for doing so. With all that being said, let's get on to this week's episode.
the season of Advent. I think that may feel a little weird since I published these episodes six days ahead of the day the readings were meant for, which means Thanksgiving actually hasn't happened yet. But we're entering Advent. Now, I think it's become quite popular, although maybe not popular enough, for churches to intentionally delay the gratification of Christmas in order to focus on the actual season of Advent. But, just in case you're unfamiliar, from a church calendar perspective, the Christmas season does not begin until December 25th. The season before, Advent, is an intentional period of preparation and waiting. Now, some churches say, screw it, it's Christmas. But many have attempted to really dig into the topic of Advent. And then many congregants complain they aren't doing enough Christmas songs. Many of the churches who are trying to stay strong use the tension appropriately to stand against what has ironically become the pinnacle of the consumeristic mindset. In other words, we are just doing our best to wait so that we don't get sucked into making the Christmas season about what we buy. That is an honorable and quite difficult task. We want to make this season about waiting and preparing. But from a Christian perspective, we are waiting and preparing for something specific. And I would like to suggest the possibility that it is not a Savior. Or maybe better put, it's not just a Savior. Let me explain. I think we mostly know the context of the first Christmas. The Jewish people had been waiting for a Messiah, one who saves in particular because they were occupied by the Romans and, in short, they had lost control of society. What I think we often forget is that this isn't the first time this has happened. Let's review really fast. Adam and Eve, whoops, waiting for things to get back to Eden. Covenant with Abraham, whoops, fell into slavery in Egypt. Red Sea deliverance, whoops, didn't trust God, had to wait for the promised land. Taking the promised land. Whoops, we need a king. Got some kings. Whoops, Israel and Judah are decimated by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Roman occupation, but a savior is born. Whoops, he died. Resurrection and ascension. Whoops, waiting for the second coming. And so on. And that's just to highlight some of the bigger movements. Here's my point. This isn't exactly the way I would sum up the Christian scriptures, but if you look at them from the perspective of volume, much more of them deals with who the people of God are and who they are becoming in the waiting times than it is about the times of salvation and deliverance. Does that help you see why we need the season of Advent? We are waiting, but we're not passive. How we wait determines what we're becoming, and more importantly, Who we are becoming while we wait might just determine whether we take another ride around this circle or not. Perhaps one of these times we could avoid the whoops. Before I say any more, let's go to the readings this week.
Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of Yahweh's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh, to the house of the God of Jacob, that God may teach us God's ways, and that we may walk in God's paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. God shall judge between the nations, and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. Psalm 122 I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of Yahweh. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together. To it the tribes go up, the tribes of Yahweh, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of Yahweh. For there the thrones of judgment were set up, the thrones of the house of David, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For the sake of my relatives and friends, I will say, Peace be within you. For the sake of the house of Yahweh, our God, I will seek your good. Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. Besides this, 
You know what time it is. How it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Matthew 24, verses 36 through 44. But about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in a field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour.
As we begin our reflection on the readings this week, let's start with Psalm 122. I think it does fit well with the theme, but we have to know what we're looking at. You might not have really noticed, but this psalm is a song of praise to Jerusalem? Yes, a song of praise to Jerusalem. Some scholars suggest this was probably a song sung during journeys back to Jerusalem. But here's what you need to know. When you hear things like the temple or Jerusalem in the Old Testament, you should know it's not directly that these particular places are sanctified. They are significant because for the Hebrew people, these were the places that God dwelled. We understand this concept so drastically different today. For us, God is everywhere. For the Hebrew people, God dwelled in Jerusalem. So, a song of praise to Jerusalem is a celebration of God's home. And as you imagine people journeying to Jerusalem, you really could think of a spiritual utopia where the people of God go to gather with God. This sort of psalm is significant in relation to the passage in Isaiah. Because this sort of spiritual utopia is exactly what Isaiah is envisioning with the words here. But before we dig into the positive and hopeful image portrayed here, we should quickly take note of the tone in Isaiah 1. It's not good. In short, it's basically, you all have really screwed this up. To give you some idea, here's the end of Isaiah 1. You will be like an oak with fading leaves, like a garden without water. The mighty man will become tender and his work a spark. Both will burn together with no one to quench the fire. By the way, just in case you thought Isaiah was talking to just the bad people, think again. This message is for Israel, the people of God. This message is for those who have claimed to know God, not the ones who don't. Anyway, chapter 2 is more hopeful. It is a vision of the mountain of God rising to be the highest. In other words, it reinforces that God is supreme. But it's also similar to Psalm 122. The basic idea behind this passage is that reconciliation will happen, and the people of God and God will once once again gather together. Mountain, temple, Jerusalem, it's all the same idea. There's a little more to this passage but let's move on for a moment. The passage in Romans introduces a new, quite interesting idea. It seems to suggest that we, or at least the people of the time, are living in something like a time between times. As Erdman's commentary puts it, it is still dark, but it is the darkness that precedes the dawn. The passage in Matthew has a very similar theme. We are waiting for something. But before we move on from this detail section, let me just say this. This passage in Matthew is a parable. So, for all you rapture literalists out there, this is a parable. But ironically, the point of all the parables in this section seems to be to try to get you to stop fixating on the precise details. Time, place, mechanism. I think it's about something different. So now let's put all this detail together and move toward an understanding of Advent. I think what many of the readings this week actually represent is our desire to zoom way too close in on the details. 
I can't tell you how many times something like the passage in Romans was used to say, you better not get drunk in this period of waiting because what if Jesus comes back? Well, good job controlling my behavior for some portion of my life, but I think there's more to it than that. In fact, many of us have become so conditioned to read scripture this way that we begin to read all of scripture this way. For example, the passage in Matthew says, For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. Well, I hope you notice that none of those things are negative. How dare you eat food? You know what? If you want to limit your behavior in certain areas, that's fine. Even good. I'm just saying, I don't think that is the point of these scriptures. And it's not the point of Advent. Advent represents a period of waiting and preparation. But it isn't passive. Many, many groups in scripture experienced periods of waiting, and instead of preparation, they cried out for a savior. There's nothing wrong with crying out for a savior, but scripture gives us the benefit of hindsight. We see the trajectory of God, and we see the ways people have missed opportunities in the past, so our preparation is different. What is the trajectory of scripture? God is working toward the reconciliation of all things. But we live in the darkness where all things are not reconciled. Exactly. As it says in Romans, let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. I really like how Erdman's commentary puts it. Act as those already inhabiting a new age. Yes, we are in the darkness. Yes, we are waiting. Yes, to some extent, we need Christ to be born again in us because we can't do this on our own. But in the time of preparation, we act as people of the light in a time of darkness. What do all the negative things in Romans have in common? Reveling, drunkenness, debauchery, licentiousness, quarreling, and jealousy. They are all numbers of pain. I think the point is, don't ignore the pain around you or the pain in you. Be light in the midst of pain. Jesus isn't going to come back, quietly crack your door and take a sniff to see if he smells alcohol and then move right along if he does. I imagine Jesus will come back in a way that is, I don't know, consistent with every other time God has come close to God's people. Jesus moves to the bottom of hierarchical systems. Jesus is present with the naked, the sick, the prisoner, the thirsty, the stranger, the alien, the widow, and so on. If Jesus were born again today, he would be in the border camps with children separated from their parents. When it was time to go, he would look at people sitting in their homes by a warm fire with their families and say, they don't need me, let's go. If Jesus were born again today, he would step into our polluted water systems. When it was time to go, he would say, they have their bottles of spring water. They don't need me. Let's go. If Jesus were born again today, he would visit the war-torn parts of our globe. When it was time to go, he would say, they have their guns for safety. They don't need me. Let's go. 
Before we're done, let's get a little more specific. Many people celebrate Advent in a way that focuses on things like joy, peace, hope, and love, sometimes other things. There is something in the reading from Isaiah that makes this the perfect week to talk about peace. Isaiah 2.4 says, They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Well, this is actually a direct counter to Joel 3, verses 9 through 17. In Joel, the image that is presented is that everyone becomes warriors. Isaiah directly contradicts this image and looks with hope to a time when peace reigns. And isn't that exactly what we're talking about this week? It drives me up a wall when people say something like, well, we we do live in a fallen world. As if we're supposed to live one way now and another when Jesus returns. Precisely not. We may be people living in darkness, but we are people of the light. Awake! Act as those already inhabiting a new age. This is what preparation and Advent is. If we will be peacemakers, then we should be becoming peacemakers now. If the world will be recreated, then we should be recreating it now. We await the birth of Jesus, but we are preparing by living as cooperators with God's work in the world. Because how we wait determines what we're becoming. Thanks for joining me again this week. I'd love if you would join us online. We're at postmodernliturgy.com. We are at Postmodern Liturgy on Facebook and Instagram and at PM Liturgy on Twitter. I would love it if you would consider supporting our work for free by sharing and rating and reviewing the podcast or financially at patreon.com slash postmodernliturgy. If you visit our Patreon site, you can see several great benefits for our supporters. And since this is the first episode of a new season, let me just run through the details really quick. Patreon is a service where independent creators can receive monthly support in small bits for their work. On our Patreon site, we offer the following benefits. For $2 a month, you have access to discussion questions based on every episode of this podcast. Maybe you want to use those for personal reflection or journaling. Maybe your small group is looking for content and could use something to discuss. Maybe you just appreciate the show. Let's be real. You probably lose $2 a month. You might as well give it to me. For $5 a month, you can get downloads of all the music I create for this podcast. 
Each month, all the music from the episodes is added. And for $10 a month, you can get access to our full worship blog. I write about worship practices, and with each episode, I offer ideas for planning a worship service around the content in the podcast. Just last week, I sent out a list of great Advent songs to use in worship for my $10 a month supporters. There's even levels above that. Finally, don't forget, if you're interested in our Pacific Northwest trip, go to postmodernliturgy.com, click the Experiences tab, and then click the Pacific Northwest trip option so you can sign up and receive further information. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, listen to our Creation Care series. Thanks again for joining me, and as always, enjoy the tension. <laughs>